Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. No one's picking up the phone Guess it's me and me And this little mascot She's lifting up her dress Guess I thought I could never feel the things I feel You know, it's that moment of Why am I with somebody who doesn't want to fly? Why am I drawn to forces that I know I have access to? that I just don't know how to get to them. Hey everybody, you're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts, I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're talking about Hey Jupiter, from Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Hey Jupiter, nothing's been the same, so are you gay? Are you blue? Thought we both could use a friend to run to And I thought I wouldn't have to be with you Something new Hi David Welcome back to my home, my recording studio. Thank you for having me. Anytime. You come over anytime. (laughs) I've missed you, Eve. Have you really? Life has gotten in the way. I feel like it's been so long. Same. How are you on a scale of um, gay to blue? Gay. Me too. (laughs) I'm very, very gay. I'm excited to delve into another banger here. Um, (laughs) The the supreme banger. Yeah, it could be the biggest banger we've ever tackled. (laughs) This song, you know, is on Boys for Pele. It's or Peely, it's Peely, more commonly known. <laughs> by Regis Philbin. Uh-huh. We'll get to that. But it's also, you know, it's like, it's a seminal track. It's like a huge track. I feel like we've said that about every song over the past <laughs> four episodes. Well, they're all but it's important. True. Um, but this one probably... It's kind of the heart of this album. What's your experience with Hey Jupiter? I guess, you know, the first time I heard it was probably the SNL performance. Mm. Yeah, because that was, you know, pre-album release. Right, right. Right before album release. But that was at a time when leaks were not a thing. And if, you know, something had not been released to radio or whatever, there was no way to hear it unless you scored a promo or You're something right. like that. So that was a very big night in my life, though. You were like at a pool party of some yeah, kind. Yeah, well, right? well, my friend Brian's In the middle parents, of January. Exactly. My friend Brian Gooden, who I went to the Portland show with, who I took to the Portland show on the last tour, lived. we grew up together in the same hometown, and he his parents were away for the weekend. He had this giant pool party where everybody, you know, when you're a teenager, you get naked in the pool at the drop of a hat. There was a hot tub. Everybody was like wild. There was alcohol. People were smoking marijuana. We had very, very different teenage experiences, (laughs) by the way. I'm from New Mexico, though. (laughs) Enough said. But on that night, I made out with this boy named Kevin Heffelfinger, who I had had an enormous crush on for a very long time. He was a bad boy. He's just like a bad boy. Was this the first boy you'd ever kissed? No, no, no. Really? I had, in 1996. No, I had, you know, I was worldly. You were the head of like the literary magazine. I was. So well, you... the, no, no, no. The literary editor. I was oh, not the editor in chief. Yes. I was just the literary editor. But point being, you were living. Yes, I was living. <laughs> I was living exactly. <laughs> um, is Hey Jupiter at all linked to this boy? I'm calling him a boy because he was at the time. I know, especially because yeah. so know, was I. So song... it's not weird. Oh no, it's not weird. 
because you know the song premiered at least for us on that night and that was also the night that this <laughs> this pool encounter literally happened. no the encounter happened in the hallway david <laughs> i'm sorry um but no the song I, I hadn't yet known heartbreak so no the song is not tied into kevin have a okay, finger fair enough what about you? What's your relationship with Hey Jupiter? I don't have a very strong personal connection to this song at all, even to this day. When the song came out, I was a teenager and I definitely did not have a lot of life experience, let alone a lot of relationship experience to sort of tether this song to. Mm-hmm. I certainly ap- appreciated like the the emotional depth of it and where it was coming from, and, but there was a level of sophistication in terms of the relationship and the end of a relationship that I certainly knew that I didn't have at that point. So mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling it in the same way that I felt other songs at the time. Right. It wasn't lost on me. I do recall, you know, on that Saturday Night Live performance, she's far away. Yes. And I recall feeling so moved by that. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I think that's a lot of what drew me and a lot of us to Tori was that she was able to go to that place mm-hmm. in such a public way an honest way it wasn't showy yeah and at the end of that performance in particular i can picture even though i haven't seen it for a very long time she snaps back at the end Mm -hmm. at the end of the song and she's almost like oh crap i forgot i was on stage and you can see it on her face and it's kind of like it's so endearing and so honest i love yeah yeah hearing the song for the first time how did you relate to it given the amount of life experience um and emotional frame of reference at the time and how has that changed for you Meaning, how do you relate to the song when you listen to it now? Back then, you know, I was still too young to know that kind of heartbreak, I think. Um, like I said, when I saw her do it on Saturday Night Live, I was just like mesmerized by the fact that she could go there. And it was very emotional on that level, like watching her get through that wall, kind of, you know? She's in another planet when she does it then. Mm-hmm. So like that was very emotional to see. It didn't, I didn't relate to it personally. And then, but as the years have gone by, I've had my heart broken, obviously. But it feels very, this feels very specific to her story. So I still, even though I relate to the sentiment and the emotion of being just kind of left out to pasture, no one's picking up the phone, crawling on your knees because that phone is not ringing, all these quotes, I relate to it and I've been there now. The song necessarily isn't like my anthem when I'm in that place. This is not one of your go-to breakup songs. Right. Like I'll go to Donut Song first. Because it seems so specific to Tori herself that you feel like you can't find a way into it or no i thought i have a way into it i just feel like um i feel like when i'm in the muck of it all when i need a breakup song in the foots and the foots Mm -hmm. i uh want a breakup song that's gonna release some anger rather than the sadness Mm -hmm. and that's why i go to donut song and that bridge and like i feel like in order to really get into the song i have to be like laying on my floor completely still with my face on the ground and unable to move and then I'll be able to sing the song, be into this song, mm-hmm. or like be this song. So I process my breakups and heartbreak a little differently than this song does. That's all I mean. What about you? I have not had a relationship dissolve on this level where I felt like this was the person I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And I relate to this sentiment and this song. I guess my version of a breakup song has always been about rejection, which I don't feel like this song right, is. Right, right. So, fair, 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 fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, should we get into it? Let's do it. First, I'd like to say hello to all our new Patreon supporters. Hey. Our new supporters are Carrie Dean Peter, Chris Petty, Colin Progen, Lovisa Aspenberg, Andrea Adams, Rachel Schultz, Hernan Sierra, 
Emily Cousins, and I'm sorry to anybody whose name I butchered. Hi, welcome Hi. to the family. So happy to have you on board. Make sure you fill out your questionnaire because we're redesigning our Patreon supporter section of our website, and it's going to be really cool coming up here in a little while. So make sure when you support, you fill out that questionnaire, and if you're having any problems accessing our private RSS feed, please don't hesitate to email us at songsoftoriamus at gmail.com, and we can walk you through it. Also, thank you to everybody for your continued support. We can't do it without you. Even if you can't financially support us, please tell a friend about us. Word of mouth helps so much. Rate us on iTunes, review us on iTunes, everything helps. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to two super fans, Craig Fisher, who's going to talk about how this song influenced his coming out process, and Jamie Soretti, who I met on tour. She's joining us for the line-by-line section. That's going to be exciting. We're also going to be talking to Earl Sebastian, the director of the Hey Jupiter music video. So that's coming up later. We also have a new hotline. You can call it anytime, day or night, and leave us a voicemail, and we'll play it. Hopefully, if it's not a terrible voicemail, <laughs> we'll play it on the show. So leave us a message at 323-296-9955, and that is American. If you are non-American and want to call, I think you press plus one one, right? Could be. Is know. that the country code? Who can say? Who can? Who can we want to hear from you. If you're having a rough weekend and you just need need an ear. Oh my God! Call in. We should do like an advice section. Yeah, we should. If you need Tory advice from David, David does already a daily divination on our mm. Twitter at Songs of Toriamus. And I want to clear up where we stand on all our contests. Congratulations to Dave Thomas, who did win the one of a kind Mr. Zebra print by Rance Hosley. Um, Rance will be sending that directly to you, Dave. Ashley Osterer, congratulations to her for winning the River Live at River Music Hall CD. And I still have to send that out. I'm so sorry. I'll send that out soon. But you haven't been waiting as long as Shay Stymac. Sorry, girl. I will get that to you. I swear I'll do that. Our Codlight Sneeze Contest, where you can win a sketch by Rance Hosley, one of a kind, that's still going on. And all you have to do to enter that contest is to let us know, email us, and let us know where Mike Lipscomb first sat down with Tori Amos to discuss the Codlight Sneeze video. And where could you find that answer, David? In our Cartelite Sneeze episode. Yeah, I think it's accessible. Mm-hmm. I think, you, I mean, you just have to yeah, listen so to it. Yeah, so stop guessing. Stop guessing. Just go back and listen right. to it. Right. We also have our BFP Deluxe Vinyl Contest that we have on our Twitter. It's closed. The contest is closed, but we still have to pick a winner. We'll do that. Let's throw it to Aural Atrium, yeah? Yep. This is Aural Atrium doing his remix cover of Hey Jupiter. Mm. You can find his work, his original work, at blackscript.bandcamp.com, and that's script with a K. He's doing these especially for our show. We have a little playlist going on our SoundCloud. Thank you to Aural Atrium. Here's Hey Jupiter. the circumstances were that surrounded the emotions in the song Hey Drew Bitter? <laughs> well, I was really um, in, a, in, a, in a bind because um, I was doing some bad things and um, I was in a love triangle 
with these, uh, I don't even know if they were real men <laughs> now. I'm not, I'm confused about the whole thing. So, uh, let's see. I was lying in bed. Um, strange things happen to you on tour, like strange Englishmen start sitting at the end of your bed, apparitions of dead guys, and they start singing songs to you. Um, and this guy was definitely dead, and he was definitely singing to me. That was a little clip from VH1 Storytellers on mm -hmm. October 24th, 1998, aired 21st February 1999, but we'll play the Hey Jupiter part later. What do you think about that? I, I want to delve into this a little bit because this is not the first time, nor would it be the last, that Tori has cited paranormal activity or um, some sort of ghost intervention <clears throat> That's when true. it comes to her songwriting process. That's true. So I'm wondering what you think about that. Also, I'm calling it now. I'm pitching um, a ghost-themed episode around Halloween, a special bonus episode. We talk about Tori's paranormal activity. Oh, a special episode for yeah. Drive All Night Plus. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I could get behind that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it adds to, I mean, I always thought it, when I was younger, I thought it was so cool. Like she was really in touch with the muses, mm -hmm. that she, you know, these songs would come to her. But this is still different because she's actually, you know, talking about ghosts as opposed to just tapping into something or being inspired. But she talks about some sort of really paranormal visitation on a handful of songs. Like this one, Sugar. Mm -hmm. Sugar was Freddie Mercury. Right. Who is this ghost supposed to be? Who well, is the man singing at her bed? Um, apparently, it's John Lennon. But point being, I love when Tori talks about ghostly visitations, especially because it seems so very convenient. Like, if you like the song, great. If you don't like the song, well, it wasn't my fault. You can blame it on bad shellfish and, and Russian interference. I forgot Anastasia, she was visited by yeah. a ghost. But do you think, though, wouldn't she do that more often if it was just about that? If it were about her pawning the song off? I really think that she had these visions. I don't doubt that she thinks she does. I, I don't mean that to sound condescending. So Tori saw a ghost of John Lennon. Yes. He sat at her bed. Mm -hmm. And you don't buy that. I, d I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of what what mental state she would have to be in and how this would differ from... When she says something like, you know, mother called to me in a dream and I was drawn to the piano. Like, how much is she embellishing this story or this experience? I don't know. But I love the idea of it. From Spin in March of 1996, uh, it's written, One of the girls on Boys for Pele is Hey Jupiter, a song about the pain of separation that Amos says is very much about a real man. And then she says, Tori says, I was at my lowest. I was at a hotel in Phoenix and I realized that for once there wasn't a man I could turn to. Mm. What do you think about that? Actually, the first thing that comes to mind is I think it was also from Spin, but during the Under the Pink tour when she makes another reference to being in a hotel room, which I guess makes sense when you're constantly on tour and never in the same place. But I think she's talking about, I think it was Trent. Oh, God, I'm taking it back Trent. to Trent. Yes. Calling or he Trent calls her and he's talking about jumping out a window. And she She's sort of, talking about jumping out a window. Uh, and he says, I've been to that hotel. The windows don't open. I thought it was okay. I thought the roles were reversed, but fine. So she's had a lot of dark nights in hotel rooms, I right. guess. Well, I mean, I think it was the exact same time. And I uh -huh. think that was a really low point yeah. for her was the end of this yeah. tour. Agreed. Um, we got a request to over Twitter to sort of go through the timeline again of Tori's romantic history. And we'll do that the best that we can in this episode. It seems that the end of 1994 on the tour, she's not yet with Mark. The songs from Boys for Pele are starting to come to her. She's broken up with Eric somewhere. We 
think around August. When was the Madison show that she credits with the birth of motor maids and sort of Mark first asking her out, I think? So I'm just trying to place that on the timeline. Well, that's where it gets tricky because there's two Madison shows in 1994. There's a Madison show in July, and then there's a Madison Madison show in October. So it it could be either, right? But I'm inclined to believe it's October. Me too. Yeah. And were they together? Were Mark and she together by the time they started recording Boys for Pele? Mm. I don't know because she does talk a lot about going out with a lot of uh, men, a lot of men. I feel like maybe the tour's over, Mark goes his way, she goes her way. She's riding Boys for Pele in her house over the bridge, right? Doesn't she still live there? Mm-hmm. When she's After ri- the tour, yeah, yeah, for sure. And maybe that is the time where she's going through it. And it's not until they start to record Pele. It's not yeah. until she starts recording Pele that Mark comes back into the picture, maybe. Who knows? Maybe they're together the whole time. Maybe she gets... I, maybe I, I don't know. I don't know the answer. But that's what I think the timeline is. I don't know how close we could get based on the information we have. But I would... I'm curious about when the actual breakup with Eric happened. And she makes a lot of references to being in a love triangle and also to being on the Under the Pink tour and making trips back and forth on flights to be with someone or a man for hours at a time that we're kind of assuming is Eric, Mm -hmm. but maybe not. So I'm just trying to... Well, she says that it's Eric. Oh, she does. Yeah, there's a quote. And let me read that right now. This is from Time Out in December 1995. She says, Hey, Jupiter was especially hard. I'd made 13 calls from all over the world. I was getting ready to catch a plane from Phoenix to do the Vegas show, and I rang Eric Ross's number again, Mm. but no one was picking up. And in that moment, after all the, you know, the fiery redhead behavior, drawing my lines, making my threats, I was lying there alone, feeling incredibly weak feeling like there are not enough sold-out shows, like it doesn't matter that every American show is sold out because I'm only alive when I'm on a stage with a piano. The rest of the time, I'm just this shell. So when I wrote Hey Jupiter, it was like, how could we have been so cruel? Because when we started out, there was so much love, real caring, and I sit here hating someone who I had been head over heels in love with, taking jets to meet up with for four hours and then flying back to do a show the next night. So again, a little bit about how... Hey, Jupiter came to be. And the reason we're talking about, I mean, I don't necessarily like to get into her personal life in that way, but I think it's very relevant to the song that we're on. Mm -hmm. And the song is about the heartbreak of losing someone and the things you'll do, things you put yourself through and, and either trying to get that back or trying to move forward or just not. So I think that it's a little appropriate to talk about it here, but I don't want to go too far. I agree. And I guess on that note, the only other thing I would say is you know, part of the narrative we get about th- this song is that they, she and Eric ag- agreed to go their separate ways because they needed to grow as individuals or whatever that was. But then going back to the storyteller's quote, it, it's one of the few times that she said, I was doing some bad things and I was in a love triangle. So it seems like their, the end of their relationship was not solely based on the, the idea that it had come to a natural conclusion and they needed to to go elsewhere to continue to grow or whatever, but that right. she had, she had, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, done something or cheated on him or um, self-sabotaged right. in some way. Right. And so when she says something like he wasn't picking up the phone, it's not like, oh, I'm going back to the ghost. I don't think she was ghosted right. by Eric, you know, I out of the blue, was but, <laughs> yeah. but she had done something or maybe cheated on him or whatever that was. Right. So I don't know. No, that's a good that's a good observation that she's, you know, it's between Phoenix and Vegas, 
that she's not getting a hold of him, that he won't pick up her calls. And that's the night she wrote Hey Jupiter, because it came to her in a hotel in Phoenix. That's the only Phoenix show 94. And then in, on, in Storyteller, she's talking about that same hotel in Phoenix having done bad things mm-hmm. and being in a love triangle. So you can put the pieces together. Was the other person Trent? God knows. Was the other person Mark? Tori knows. Mm-hmm. We don't know. But we did tell uh, somebody on Twitter that we would try to go through the timeline. So I think we've done that to the yeah. best of our, and like, I think you said this, um, off air, we don't have the set list for the next night yeah, in exactly. Vegas, but I've looked for that too. And I would, yeah, yeah. I would die to I know, would die what to know what the played. Vegas. Yeah. Like an early version of Hey Jupiter mixed in with something. I'll bet you anything. It's not that interesting. I know. If we found it. It's yeah. just kind of a standard under the pink right. set list. But, what if but it was, still, what yeah. if it was like, a, no one's picking up the phone improv. Mm-hmm. into precious things or something crazy. Hurt. Uh, if you were in Vegas in 94, call us. 323-296-9955. Mm-hmm. Let us know. Tell us everything. So you want to read this quote from Yahoo Chat? I'll be the person who asked the question. Ready? Okay. So where did you get the inspiration for the song Hey Jupiter? I was going through something in my life and I felt the presence at the end of my bed of a ghost of someone I recognized. I was in a hotel room in Arizona during the Under the Pink tour. I followed this ghost into the bathroom. I turned on all the water, the shower. I let the room steam up. The water became part of the sound, almost like an orchestra. And this ghost drew a picture for me in the mirror in the steam. The way I interpreted the picture was that Earth and Jupiter were in love billions of years ago. Then they were separated. And now they are billions of miles apart. And this is Earth's love song to Jupiter. I don't think she'd ever talked about the song in quite that way. As many quotes as we have um, Mm -hmm. where she discusses this album, I don't think she'd ever specifically mentioned a a love song between the planets Mm -hmm. of Earth and Jupiter. So that's super interesting. Yeah, I love that quote. Mm -hmm. I think that um, it's heartbreaking already, but it becomes even more poignant, I Mm -hmm. think, if you think of these two enormous forces that can't be together. And, you know, I'm not I'm not one to get into the debate of drawing comparisons between Tori and Kate Bush or anyone else. But it is worth noting that Kate Bush has a song called Hello Earth and Tori has a song called Hey Jupiter. Mm. Ma- make of that what you will. But especially given this quote about um, Hey Jupiter being a love song between Earth and Jupiter, I kind of love that that's the case. And I imagine these two songs or these two planets running into each other at a party or something after a breakup and greeting each other coldly. Like I knew you'd be here. Hello earth. Oh, Hey Jupiter. And then <laughs> turning you, to the wall and walking away from each other. Do you but, think that Kate Bush was the third person in that love triangle? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the kick inside. <laughs> um, from the boys for Pele deluxe liner notes from last year. 2017 if you're listening in the future tori says that was a song that came to me in arizona almost like it was being sung to me from a male voice i was in a hotel room in the shower you can imagine running for the tape recorder wet trying not to electrocute myself what kind of tape recorder is she using? that is a very good question and then the person who wrote the liner note says she knew exactly what the song was about trying to step into womanhood from girlhood mm. and this takes us into placement on the album we want to get to that because it falls like sort of right in the middle. It's the middle and it is from girlhood to womanhood, right? It is. And you know that the the liner notes are very, very recent um, a year or two ago. And I don't think as it pertains to this song, Tori had described it in that way in the past. But this is obviously the thread of this entire album 
a journey from girlhood to womanhood. And it, it seems like at various points, she uses that idea in relation to every single song, certainly up until this point. So that's interesting that Cotolite Sneeze is stepping out of girlhood into womanhood and looking for a more mature relationship. And Hey Jupiter is about stepping out of girlhood into womanhood. So that's the narrative thread that we're following here. Mm-hmm. To that, I want to go to the quote that we read last episode from the Muhammad, my friend episode where she says, it's in the Fort Lauderdale Herald on April 12th, 1996. She said, the first half of the record is about her descent into the horror. She's got to find another way of looking at herself. On the next song, Hey Jupiter, she knows the way that she has looked at relationships with men and put them on a pedestal is over. There's a sense of incredible loss because I knew that I would never be able to see the same way again. It's freeing, and yet there's a sense of grieving with that. Mm. So if you have to point out one singular moment on the album, it might be like this moment Mm. that everything changes, right? Would you agree, maybe? I do, particularly given that Tori herself has said she was never alone and that she'd always gone from relationship to relationship. Mm -hmm. And I kind of see that through the lens of adolescence, which isn't meant to sound critical, um, but if you have since you were a teenager, gone from boyfriend to boyfriend, relationship to relationship, and you've never had to be on your own and establish who you are as an individual, that that does keep you kind of trapped in a place of perpetual adolescence. When Tori talks about this song and this relationship, she refers to him as a soulmate and someone that she thought she was going to spend the rest of her life with, which is why this song about the end of this relationship has such emotional weight. This isn't a cotylite sneeze or something else about someone that you dated for two months and they cheated on you, or this is about the destruction of something very, very substantial and adult. And I just haven't had, and I hopefully most people don't, a long line of these kinds of relationships where people fall under that category, where you really felt like you were building a life with someone. You might only have that once or twice. Let's play this quote from Richard and Judy. It kind of addresses what you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's funny, it's like, um, you know, your soulmate. You, you believe, and, and I still think that we are soulmates, but now I believe that there's more than one soulmate sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you just grow apart. Mm-hmm. And as much love as I, I still have and honor him, mm-hmm. um, besides, you know, dragging each other's balls across America. What do you think? Balls across America. Dragging their balls. <laughs> we should start an organization. Non-profit. Balls across America. Nonprofit. <laughs> so I want to play a quote from Eric Ross, which I think is the only instance we have of him commenting on his relationship with Tori in this era, at least at all. Yeah, and it's interesting. Before we play the quote, I want to say it's interesting to get on this specific song in particular a male the, the male perspective. Yeah. Let's hear from Jupiter. In 1995, after seven years and two albums together, they parted ways. It was mutual. It was a mutual agreement that we needed to do that in order to grow as individuals. That's an honorable dude. Yeah. And he, he says it was a, it doesn't feel raw. There's no resentment. He says it was a mutual agreement that we needed to do that in order to grow as individuals. Yeah. There's no discussion of someone cheated on someone right, else not, or yeah, things not went shade. so it's still um kind of hard to suss out exactly what happened there not that it's our business it's not at our all business because it isn't 
But also, Karen Binns. Can we talk about that for a second, too? You can. Well, as a, as a friend, I guess you always want a friend's perspective on your relationship or your breakup, and even if you don't, they're going to give it to you. So here's Karen Binns with her thoughts on Tori's breakup. She had a, a, a slight devastation, but the devastation of a teenager, more or less, who's lost um, the love that she had in high school, and what is she going to do now? That happened. Yeah. So what kind of what kind of breakup do you think would not warrant that kind of description? A mature breakup. Like a teenager who's lost but but what would that mean? An actual marriage? Like what? No. Why there was are... their why was their relationship sort of, I don't know, immature? I think Karen is just referring to the incredible change that happened through that breakup. Mm. She went from being that teenage girl who like by Tori's own admission, you know, she went from boy to boy. She, you know what I mean? Like that's true. So she went from being that teenage girl to being ready for a stable lifetime commitment mm-hmm. to her very next relationship, mm-hmm. which was her husband. Mm-hmm. So I don't think she means anything by it, except for that. Like there was this shift, right? Karen, right. If Karen. you're listening, Karen, call our hotline girl, three, two, three, two, nine, six, nine, nine, five, five. And you, sh- you guys can call our hotline too. And let us know what you think about anything. Yeah. And if it's fun, we'll play it on the show. I get that. And I know you're moving along, but I'm just curious because the way... <laughs> Was that not graceful? No, it's fine. But the way Tori talks about this relationship is soulmates and soulmates come and go. And it's so deep and important. And then we go to Karen Bins rolling her eyes like Tori got dumped at homecoming. <laughs> By her high school boyfriend, and I'm just trying to figure, like, well, which one is it? Well, I mean, Karen Binns was not part of the relationship, so... Or was she, Love Triangle? <laughs> <laughs> was it? Uh, I guess we'll never know. Unless someone calls the hotline. Yeah. Unless Karen calls the hotline and confirms. So, let's talk about this song's placement on the album. Do it. Yeah. This quote is from B-Side, May, June, 96. The album going into Hey Jupiter is the point where she knows it's over with this particular relationship or ships and it's not ever going to be what it was again it's never going back that's where the whole record turns on its axis what do you think about that Eve? i agree <laughs> you agree with tori's own description of the album y- yes no i agree this is where the whole thing just changes it kind of goes back to what i said earlier which was a quote of what tori said which was you can't she can't look at it the same way mm. now that she's been through hell she's gone to hell rather She's pushed and pulled and caught like sneeze. Here she is being honest, seeing what it really is. And it's very naked. It's very raw. From this to the end is a mature, a more or a woman finding that healing, I guess. From here on out, it's less, you don't get the like screaming ragers. You don't get the professional widows. You get a batch of songs that seem to me to be working through that pain and then healing. But how do we go from, let's say, Sneeze, Muhammad to Jupiter? What's the shift here from a narrative perspective? What's the realization from the narrator's point of view or Tori's point of view when we get to Jupiter now at this point in the album? What she says, she can't look at it ever the same way again. Her relationship? What is it? Her relationships with men. Yeah. Like the way she put men on a pedestal, as she says. It can never be the same way. Because she's gone back to the bloodline where women were circumcised out of the story. She's replaced the woman there. And now that the woman is there, she can't pretend like 
she's not. Whereas all her relationships, she's just been putting men on a pedestal. They are the being. They are the supreme being. But now that she's gone and reinserted the woman into the story, the woman's in the story. Mm-hmm. So she can't pretend that she's not. And so, maybe also she's never actually been alone her entire life. Yeah. She's always been in a relationship. Right. And now she's looking at this particular relationship as a place that maybe she's been hiding and hasn't been forced to kind of step out on her own and discover who she is as a woman, as an individual outside of identifying herself with another person. Sure. So given what she knows now, she can't stay in this relationship as easy as it would be, I guess, Mm -hmm. because maybe it's good and he's a soulmate or whatever, but she has more work to do. Yeah, sure. I don't know. This relationship is not providing her with a platform to do. I agree. I don't know that she necessarily had a choice in the matter. With this song especially, it doesn't feel like she has a choice in the matter. The mm-hmm. first line, no one, pick, no one's picking up the phone. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem like it's her choice. And the, these are forced realizations. Mm-hmm. Realizations nonetheless, you know? The men who brought her to her fire, what they gave or what they didn't give. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think we figured it out. <laughs> where, why, why it's where it is, yeah? I think so. And, you know, it's interesting when you say this was not a choice or this was forced upon her again. Will we ever know that? It doesn't really matter, but... We have quotes, including from Eric himself, saying that this was a, a mutually agreed upon mm-hmm. breakup or arrangement or whatever. So whether or not that's true, at least they have the mutual respect to honor each other publicly. Mm. Eric Ross seems like a stand-up guy, I think. I mean, just look at that hair. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's a handsome fella. Eric, you can call our hotline. Please do. All right, David. This song appeared... For the first time on Tori's third album, Boys for Pele. But that wasn't the last time you were going to see Hey Jupiter. <laughs> no. There was a re-recorded version called the Dakota version that appeared on the EP. Isn't it interesting that every single she released from this album was, was remixed. remixed or, in this case, re-recorded entirely? With the exception of Sneeze. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's in part because this album is so not commercial that that was kind of necessary if she was going to get any radio play whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell our audience a little bit of the history of why it's called the Dakota version when she re-records it? Sure. So Tori has mentioned a couple times that she had a ghostly visitation from John Lennon and that he brought her this song or maybe even sang her this song for the first time that she heard it. And there was some sort of dictation happening, but also John Lennon was assassinated outside of the, the Dakota building. So right. we have to believe that that's why. She dubbed the re-recorded version the Dakota version. Oh, that's great. Right. It's chilling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Should we get into the line by line? Dear God, let's get out of our own heads and back into Tori's. This is, I don't know. (laughs) For our line by line today, we have Jamie Soretti, who I, Brave Little Hedgehog, who I met on tour. And let's call her now. Let's process this with a woman. She better pick up because if she doesn't, I'm going to feel so insecure. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I breathe you in and I know you know and sometimes you take a swim found your writing on my wall if my heart's soaking wet boy your boots can leave a mess hey jupiter nothing's been the same so are you gay are you blue thought we both could use a friend to run to and i thought i wouldn't have to keep with you this is Susie and the Cheese Wagon. You can find this cover on our show notes page at songsoftoriamus.com. 
we're back and we have on the line Jamie Soretti, who I met in Boston and saw in New York on tour and we were just reminiscing about the good old tour days. Hi, Jamie. Hi. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so thrilled to be here doing the line by line. It's so exciting for us. We decided that like we should have more women on the show and you qualify. <laughs> <laughs> Not only are you a woman, but you're a cool woman that I got to meet on tour and I felt like you had some insight and you're a super fan of the song, right? Yeah, me and probably like 90% of the fan base, right? Did you guys discuss the song when you met and you were like, when it comes up, I need to be on this episode? Or No, I think I was like listening. I was listening to it one night really late. And I just emailed and was like, whenever you get to this song, please let me be on it. <laughs> and that was like two years ago, right? It was like so long ago. It was a while ago. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was definitely a while ago. But here we are. I have a great filing system, so I think Jamie was pretty surprised to get the email from me responding to that two-year-old email saying, like, still up for it? I was. But I have a system. Yep. Yeah. So we felt like, you know, we have to have a third person, because David and I have been talking about Hey Jupiter now all day, and so let's bring in fresh perspective, and maybe the song as a super fan means something to you that we've not considered. So let's just jump right in, Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. No one's picking up the phone. Anybody? Anyone want to take the ball? Okay, off the the bat, I just want to say, could this whole thing have been prevented if Tori had changed her long-distance carrier? Oh, stop it. Because (laughs) she's been talking a lot about crawling to a phone that's not ringing when we were on Cotterlight's knees, and now she's calling someone who's not picking up, so it's like, maybe, like, her connection is just bad. She has Sprint. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, this is, this line is, like, so of a time, I feel like. Like, it just captures where we all were at that time when you actually called people and waited for other people to call you and there wasn't really texting or internet chatting or anything. And it's just, I don't know, it brings me right back there to 96. That's a really good point because now if someone if someone's calling that you don't want to talk to, you don't really get the busy signal. You don't really mm-hmm. get the incessant ringing. You just kind of send them to voicemail. Denied. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Exactly. And that's a really good point. It didn't I, that didn't occur to me? Um, who do you think she's calling? Um. So I guess she's been quoted right as saying that she was in a love triangle at the time of this song. So I guess we kind of need to take that at face value. But I mean, to me, the song is just about calling someone that she, a one person that she was in love with, who just isn't in love with her anymore. I don't see as much the love triangle piece. I don't see as much the other person mm-hmm. factoring in quite as heavily as the person who's not picking up the phone. Right. Cause it's me and me. So then basically she's calling, no one's picking up, and it's just she's alone. There's no one else there. It's just so sad. Oh. Yes. I was just watching the video earlier today getting ready for this and like her eye makeup and she's just sitting in that rocking chair while the whole place around her is burning mm, down right that eye makeup is a is the it's an iconic look it's the perfect yeah. representation of what this song is we do, do love I mean? a smoky eye mm-hmm. we, do, <laughs> we do love a smoky eye but also <laughs> just like that you can see she's been through it mm-hmm. and the her building slash life is burning around her and she doesn't have the will to even get up mm-hmm. or move you know what I mean? And she's just mm-hmm. in this stasis of like 
just wreckage. And I love, I love that image. I agree with you in terms of the love triangle. If Tori had not offered that bit of information, I don't think just based on strictly a reading of the lyrics that that comes through at all. Right. That there might be someone else involved. To me, that might be, that might've been a time where she got a little too real. Like that might've been the real inspiration for this song. Mm -hmm. The love triangle really didn't translate into the song, but that was maybe what was behind it. Yeah. And there's a little mice cat. She's ready to confess all the things that I never thought that she could feel. So what I think is interesting about this line is how she switches from saying it's me to she. So it's like depersonalizing it it's like setting it off to this other kind of version of herself oh that's interesting yeah she wants to distance herself a little bit i think from the masochist and a masochist of course is someone who enjoys pain or loves to suffer in some way so it might be a little difficult to sort of find a union with that side of yourself, you know, to admit that that's you. Exactly. Yeah. That is interesting. And maybe she's also separating herself um, because she's at a place where she's so disempowered um, that she's looking at herself Mm -hmm. from, from the outside. And it's like, who is this, this masochist, this woman who's willing to do this to herself or who's gotten to this point. I don't even recognize her. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So to me, it's like, being a feminist, being a woman who considers herself, as I do and as Tori does, empowered and in charge of my own life and independent and, you know, like, I don't need no man or whatever. <laughs> I think that finding herself in this place of just like abject misery over this relationship ending in this man who's not reciprocating her feelings, that to me is some of what the things that she never thought that she could feel are. That's the, the, the idea that she's crawling on her knees for a man. Yes. 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 And I think the other element of it too is possibly like, this is someone in her life who has been such a constant and an important person. And she just never expected that, he wasn't going to be on the other end of the line when she called. And so I think that's part of what she's feeling here too. Like she never thought that she could feel like this person wasn't there for her anymore. Well, I was just going to say that Jupiter is like this big giant planet. It takes up just so much space. And that's what I think of in terms of Jupiter, it's just this like huge, overwhelming presence. And then I think there's some stuff about a Roman god too, but maybe David, you know more about that than I do. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't go that far, but <laughs> it seems to me that that <laughs> Jupiter is such a masculine reference, not only the planet, but kind of like you were saying, the Roman god, and maybe that fits in with the Lucifer and the Muhammad and maybe even Jesus and all these male figures that she's been having conversations with up until this point. Mm -hmm. And um, 
Jupiter, you know, is obviously a, a Roman god that predates Christianity and, and is, comes from a time when goddesses were also part of that belief system. So maybe this, on, on some small level, this is her reaching back in her Tory way to a time before Christianity when right. um, gods and goddesses were both acknowledged as, you know, flip sides of the, of the coin. And she's trying to get back to that place. Right. Serves to know that Jupiter is the god of sky and thunder and king of the gods in ancient Roman religion and mythology. Jupiter was the chief deity of Roman state religion throughout the Republican and Imperial eras until Christianity became the dominant religion of the empire. Just had to say that. That's just something I know. I didn't read that off Wikipedia or anything like that. <laughs> it's wildly impressive. It's my own memory. And in terms of planets, I guess, is Earth typically something we reference as female? It is, right? Like Mother Earth. Well, oh, yeah. So... Yeah. That makes sense, right? Earth is a me- mm-hmm. uh, feminine presence. Yeah, yeah. I picture like a old timey phone cord, like those curly ones that we used to have on our phones, mm. like just beaming through space, trying <laughs> to get and connect to Jupiter. Nothing's been the same. So are you gay? Are you blue? Thought we both could use a friend to run to. So starting with nothing's been the same, when you're in that place where the relationship is over and you are devastated and you're having to completely restructure your life, I've left towns. I've moved away to different cities because it was too much. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that mm-hmm. idea of nothing's been the same since you left, since we stopped... And then wondering if she's talking about, are you gay being in the classical happy sense? Are you happy? Are you sad? What's happening with you? I still care about you. I need to know how you're doing to know how I'm doing because we're so linked together. And I thought, you know, I mean, there's this, there's something about this whole section that just breaks my heart. I know it's so heartbreaking. Why do you think she chooses to use the word to say, are you gay instead of like, are you happy or some other well that's the age-old question there (laughs) yeah david you have thought well kind of like eve was saying i think it's very literal there's the one you know in the classical sense happy sad but she i don't have the quote in front of me so i i can't you know say for sure but at some point she's mentioned having a crush on a gay man um her or someone who was unsure of his sexuality and I think this is one of those instances where she's pulling in threads of other relationships. This is maybe not about a person who was very much a part of this story, but it's just like a nod to someone from the past or another situation that she's pulling in. And and she's addressing yeah. all of these masculine figures as kind of one. Obviously, there are two different sort of interpretations. To me, it's it's simply about rhyme scheme and just the sound of having a one-syllable word there that means happy. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe... Are you something? Are you blue? Gave birth to are you gay? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, and, and I've heard her talk, too, about, like, even referencing the are you gay line as something having to do with gay the gay kids that come to her shows and, like, just being very... But, like, I can't see the thread. What do you think, Jamie? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't, like, make perfect sense to me. I think are you blue sounds so right because it, like, just captures this kind of melancholy feeling but yeah i don't know i think y'all are probably right that it's just pulling in another thread from a different relationship maybe the love triangle yeah well because then thought we both could use a friend to run to does sort of 
make me think that that is the reference to the third person potentially in the love triangle. She said that she, you know, reached a point where she didn't know who she was outside of this relationship. So maybe she's just referencing someone else who is even unsure of their own sexuality. Like, who am I? Am I gay? I don't, I don't even know. (laughs) Piggybacking off of that, like when you are reaching out for affection and you're so devastated, anyone will do. Mm. Are you gay? No. Mm. Are you blue? Yes. Mm. You're sad. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I mean, maybe that's stretching it, but. And I thought I wouldn't have to be with So let's talk about the discrepancy between this line and what's printed in the lyric book. Mm. In the Baltimore Sun, it's written, Although Hey Jupiter finds Amos singing, and I thought I wouldn't have to be with you as something new, the lyric sheet renders the couplet as, and I thought you'd see with me, you wouldn't have to be something new. What happened? Tori says, it kept coming back that way on the lyric sheet. I kept correcting it 17 times. Revision after revision, it kept coming back. John Witherspoon I looked at it and said, it needs, to be, it needs to hold both of them. The girl needs to be saying it while the other voice is saying it differently because they can't communicate anymore. And while I buy that, I don't think she did it 17 times because at 17 times, <laughs> right. would she be like, circle, red, change? It's probably twice. But. Yeah. <laughs> but I do feel something else. I feel like that maybe that it was written that way and maybe the song, this gives me a, a little sense that the song was written from the male perspective. That along with the fact that it was coming to her in a male voice by John Lennon sitting Mm. at the edge of her bed, I feel this line, when read as it is in the booklet, I thought you'd see with me you wouldn't have to be something new, is the man telling her that because she had been trying to be or trying to get something new or trying to be with something new or I don't know, but kind of like Baker Baker, it was his time to run. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know what I mean? So then it makes me feel like this Mm -hmm. is an honorable man, a good man that she screwed over in a way. Mm -hmm. If I think about it as originally having come from his perspective, that she rewrote that line from her perspective or whatever. But that's just the sense that I get. What do you guys think? For me, it just brings up um, these feelings of like really thinking you know the other person. And then when the relationship ends, it's like, I thought that we knew each other. I thought that I could just be who I was with you. Instead, it just seems like you wanted something different. You wanted something different than who I really was. I agree with that. And at the end of a relationship, again, it's holding both sides. But I, I, I didn't think I would have to be with you something that I, I wasn't or that I would have to keep proving myself to you over and over or impressing you or whatever that is sometimes i breathe you in and i know you know i just imagine two people in bed or hugging just like in an intimate situation and just like breathing in the essence of that person not just the way that they actually smell but like just everything about them knowing that the other person knows that you're doing that is like a very vulnerable place to be so that's what this brings up for me i remember a quote somewhere where tori said that the most beautiful thing 
was to breathe each other in or mm-hmm. there's, there's a quote somewhere. She talked about breath a lot, I guess, like on under the pink. Uh-huh. And like during that tour, when she would be telling stories, she would say stuff about wanting to throw a man up against a wall and breathe him <laughs> oh, in. Yeah. So whatever that was for her, oh. that was like the, the ultimate expression of intimacy, uh-huh. I guess, which is sharing breath or breathing Smelling. someone in. Yeah. So like, yeah. Yeah. Bre- like mm-hmm. becoming one. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you know. What is what is that to you, David? I know you know who I am at my best and worst, maybe. And you're maybe the only person who has all that information about me. Because we share the same breath. Yeah. And sometimes you take a swim. I think of it as the person going away for a little while, actually. I oh. think of it as, like, sometimes you take a swim... You're just out there somewhere that I can't access. And then you come back. I love that. I don't want to say anything else. I don't either. I'm going with that. (laughs) Found your writing on my wall. To me, that is a, it's as beautiful as now I'll I'll be wearing your tattoo. Mm. Found your writing on my wall. Yes, that's what I was just thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that imagery of you being imprinted on me, on my Mm. skin, on my body, Mm. in my life, in my world, in my memory. Yeah, I can see that, but also the expression, the writing is on the wall, means you know how something is going to end, or maybe (laughs) things are not going well, and I kind of see where this is going, so it's like, oh, I can see maybe you're pulling away from me, or that moment in a relationship where you feel like maybe this is not going to end up the way you hoped that it would. Live my heart soaking wet, but your boots can leave. These lines to me connect so much to putting the damage on as well. Just this person who has so much power over her and he is walking. The imagery that it conveys to me is like walking over her heart. Right. And just stomping on it with his boot. That's so sad. I know. Well, this song is really sad. Is, yes. You've been talking about it for 10 hours. I know. So you know that by now. <laughs> if my heart's soaking wet and sometimes you take a swim, why isn't he swimming in her heart? Why is he stomping on her heart? No. Well, he doesn't need to actually be stomping. Might be too. I might have been too strong there. No, I think that's accurate. Like... I think that's right. That's the reason it's boots. <laughs> yeah. It's not boy, your feet can yeah. leave a mess because that might be just walking mm-hmm. on me. But boots mm-hmm. mean like hard, steel-toed mm-hmm. man boots is what I hear when I hear that line. It conjures up this image for me where it's like the person is going away. He's taking a swim. He's just getting all wet somewhere else. And it's making her heart kind of swell and be sad and and wet. And then he's coming back in and stomping on it. I'm picturing a person with with their heart open, with the door open, and your heart almost becomes a welcome mat. And someone is just wiping their muddy feet all over oh. it and then tracking their garbage into your house. Yes. And it's like, well... I let you in, and and this is what you've done. You've tracked your garbage into my house, and now what am I going to do? I've been there. Been there, girl. (laughs) And I thought you wouldn't have to give with me hiding. Well, I think this comes, this is sort of a callback to 
the previous couple lines about thought I wouldn't have to be with you, something new, where it's just like someone that you thought you could be your true self with and they could be their true selves with you. And instead, there were secrets. Hiding, to me, kind of conveys that there was something happening that wasn't totally out in the open. Right. I will say this is the the one line of this song that has different emotional resonance for me at this point in my relationship, or at this point in my life and my current relationship, where I still f- find myself... Feeling like if someone knows who I really am or if like I reveal this final part of myself or they see the worst of me that they're going to reject me or leave me. So I feel like that's kind of what's encapsulated in this in this lyric. In your current relationship? Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Thought I knew myself so well All the dust I have Well, to me, I thought I knew who I was and then suddenly here I am crawling after this person or whatever, I'm doing things that are unrecognizable to me as to who I believe myself to be. And all the dolls I had is just a representation, especially when you think towards the future with American Doll Posse, these versions of herself. So all the dolls I had, all these masks, all these different girls that I could be, I could be this, you know, Pip girl, or I could be this Clyde girl, or whatever, I could be all these different versions of myself. Mm -hmm. And I thought I knew myself so well, but turns out I didn't know myself at all. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, in the video how it is a little girl that kind of rescues her from the burning building. And I was, I'm was, i sort of wondering if, it, if there's something there, too. Because when I hear dolls, I also think of just a little girl. And I wonder if it's referring to some younger version of herself. I think you're right in the sense that Tori is probably the doll especially because she's talked so much about transitioning from girlhood into womanhood and leaving behind um those aspects of childhood but maybe also dolls could hold men and she talks about comforting herself so is is dolls another way of saying gents guys dudes whatever like all the men that i've had mm. recently and like, oh, interesting. maybe they didn't mean anything but i was i was looking for something is this a reference to leather it absolutely is and we also have an interview where a journalist says hey tori what does that line mean is it about shoes or like leather, like a whip, and it says like Tory demurs and whatever. So it's obviously about like whatever <laughs> tendencies or physical relationships without feeling. Maybe she had. It's like a sexy line. Sexy, as in reference to sex. But... Oh yeah, that's what I mean. Sexish yeah. line. <laughs> okay. Sexish line. Yeah, I think it is like a whip or clothes or something that is sexy. Yeah, sexish. But also in leather, it's. If love isn't forever, hand me my leather. So mm-hmm. it's like all the things that I had to do or the things that I did do when I was separated from myself. Right. That makes sense. So if love isn't forever, then hand me my leather. If this isn't going to be forever, then I'm just going to separate myself and be the sex kitten, for example. Yep. So I thought I knew myself so well. All the dolls I had took my leather off the shelf. So my sex kitten came down and I used my sex kitten or whatever my okay i see it now okay i'm there stop saying sex kittens (laughs) fair enough that's our note from our second woman on the show during our line i can't say peanut butter as a reference to vagina and i can't say sex kitten okay well we're taking these down you've got to help us be better men no more 
sex kitten. Your apocalypse was found. To me, this is this is a little bit where this love triangle concept could come in. So your apocalypse was stabbed referring to another man and he's like dark and he just has something about him that's like apocalyptic and it holds all of those things like it's kind of alluring but also really dark and messy right and so that's who i think she's referring to someone else besides the other main character in the song here i think you're right and i think it's you know a a reference to he uprooted my entire world your wrecking my world was exactly what I needed for a girl who couldn't make a choice between A or B. Your wrecking my world was exactly mm. what needed to happen. Mm. Your intrusion into my world. I hate to make another reference to Trent, but maybe this is another case of her pulling in a thread of a prior relationship or man when she's referencing the nihilism of a Trent Reznor or his sense of hopelessness or whatever that was just referencing like mm-hmm. his music or whatever their relationship was like when she had that dalliance with his his little apocalypse right right <laughs> right yeah and apocalypse mm-hmm. you're right jamie being a very dark term being a very you know it calls to mind something very specific that i think trent Reznor could easily fit into at that time not yeah. anymore it's not like muscle milk or you know, heavy bodybuilding now. <laughs> yeah. But like back then when he was dark and broody. Yeah, this weird muscle daddy that yeah. has become. What is that? For a girl who couldn't choose between a shower of a bath. It's a metaphor, right? But when I'm thinking about a choice between a shower and a bath, to me the shower is a steady, sort of reliable thing that you do Daily, every day. Yeah. And the bath is, like, luxurious, it's indulgent, you can't, like, count on having it all the time. So I think there are, like, characterizations of potentially the two different people in that line as well. That never occurred to me. To me, it was always, like, obviously a girl who couldn't make a choice, but the fact that the line is shower and bath, that never resonated to that. I think you're totally right, and not to get too literal, but but you know, Tori has talked about this song coming to her in a hotel room, and she turned the shower water on, oh, and yeah. she was writing in the mist, so I feel like this lyric can also hold that very literal, maybe part of the experience. Yeah. And I thought I wouldn't have to be Well, obviously she's famous and obviously she has a public face and a private face. And I thought I could share with you who I really am instead of having to be what people who don't know me think I am or, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah, that seems right to me. Also, magazines have idealistic standards in them. So whether it means she she thought she wouldn't have to look a certain way or act a certain way, um, but... It turns out that maybe she did in order to stay in the relationship. That, and to me, a magazine is something with something different and glossy on every page. So it's like, how do I, how do I keep you interested? I didn't think that I would have to keep performing and, and proving something to you right. at, at every turn. Right. Like, 
Look what I can do right. now. No one's picking up the phone. Cause it's clear he's gone. So we've been through this whole thing around the world and back, and still he's not picking up the phone, and it's clear it's over. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, thoroughly depressing. <laughs> I think that's why I was being quiet. We, I know. We've all grown somber. Eve and I have pulled away from each other, and we're like, oh. And this little masochist is lifting up her dress. Oh, I think those lines, those two lines are just, like, the hardest lines of this song because she's just reduced to nothing but like a sexual object and she knows that she's harming herself by opening herself up in that way to whoever she can find but she's doing it anyway these two lines i think are like the most heartbreaking ones in the whole song guess i thought i could never feel the things i feel guess I never thought I could be that empty shell. And that makes it so much more heartbreaking when it's paired with the lifting up her dress lines because there's no resolution to it. It just is what it is. I guess I thought I could never feel the things I feel. Yeah, she's just sitting in it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This maybe gets us to the Dakota version. She drops this verse um, from later live versions and also the Dakota version. And it seems like this is such a deep emotionally resonant um passage for her to for her to drop lyrically so yeah Yeah. um she does drop it from the dakota version it is also it seems to me to be like you're right the most naked naked yeah Yeah. the most exposed Mm -hmm. yeah so it makes sense that it wouldn't be sent to the radio Mm -hmm. kind of in a way Mm -hmm. let's get into the dakota version because there are additional lyrics first really brings in that love triangle there is another whereas in the in the album version it's hard to find the other and you can find traces of the other especially for a girl who couldn't choose between the shower and the bath section but here it's very clear there is an other yeah that's a lot and she still sings that to this day so Mm -hmm. she doesn't try to downplay that on some level she's still thinking about someone else there's someone else in her heart maybe i don't know or at least the character will forever be right yeah right Well, I've always thought of the additional lyrics as further ahead in time. They're taking place later than the rest of the song. So she's been in this relationship with this person who maybe actually wasn't that good for her and was causing her like a lot of emotional distress, but was also very alluring and there was something about him that she really, really loved. And now she's with someone else. Her life is routine. She knows where everything is and she knows that this person is like steady and reliable. And at the same time, he isn't you. He isn't that other person from before that she loves so much. Right. And I love the imagery of the cupboards because I know where the cars part, like it's, it almost means in this sense that she's kind of 
she's not feeling anything. There's nothing. It's all just kind of robotic. Do you know what I mean? It's all by rote. Right. She's kind of dead in a way. And he'll never be you. And you was where I was alive. And now I won't ever be alive again. And it's just so resigned. It makes me, oh my God, I'm getting emotional. I know. She's really resigned in that verse, I think. You just blew my mind right now. And I thought of something in a way I'd never thought of it before. And you just made it like sad and negative. I made the song sad and negative. (laughs) David, it's what the (laughs) lyrics mean. It's exactly what they mean. There could be no alternate meaning. Uh, Again, not to get too personal, but I woke up this morning because I couldn't sleep. And I slipped out of bed. And I was looking for my pants in the dark. So I could bring them upstairs without waking Patrick up. We have a home together. Like, I know where the cupboards are. I know where my car is parked, even in the dark. And what if all of that were to change and that was taken away from me? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. So the Dakota version came when she was already with Mark. Yeah. And that's kind of what triggered it when Jamie was saying this is in the future. And when this song came out, that kind of was her future. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's she been was with Mark with ever Mark. since. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But kind of like, well, I'm jumping ahead. But when you've said about a song like Hotel, there are, there are always people who you remember very fondly who made you who you are. And I don't think she could ever think of Eric any other way. Right. As one of those people. Right. So, right. It's like at one point we had this life together. So. Okay. <laughs> what do you think, Jamie? You're the final, you're the final judge. I look at it, I continue to look at it negatively. Like, (laughs) glass half empty. I think she's still, I think she's still pining for you, the you in that line, which I assume is Eric, while recognizing at the same time that he wasn't the right person for her. He didn't offer her like the stability that she really needed in the lifelong partner no i totally agree with you and i don't see that as negative i see it as believing that there isn't necessarily one soulmate and i will always hold you dear and maybe if you'd been different at that point or i'd been different things would have gone another way right but nothing's been the same so are you safe now we're through oh that's another, this song is so thematically connected to Baker Baker, my yeah. other podcast episode. You can find that on iTunes. <laughs> because it's just, oh, so now do you have everything that you need that we're not together? Are you just like, you're not vulnerable anymore? You're, um, you know, on your own somewhere doing your thing and... It's only, you could only get to that place because we're not in a relationship anymore. So is this like, if you see him, say hi? Yes. Okay. Yes. Do you think when she says, thought we both could use a friend to run to, she's referring to the two of them running to each other or the two of them (gasps) running to other people or the same person who is a friend? Blowing my mind. It never occurred to me that it could be the two of them running to different people. Oh, my God. I think of it as, like, the third... Like, this is where a little bit of the thread of the love triangle might come in, where it was, like, someone who they both knew or something. I think it's also... You You sometimes need a friend or people who know you, know you in another sense who you can talk about your relationship with. 
beyond that person. Like this is what's going on and you have to acknowledge that your partner sometimes needs that person too. Right. Which do you prefer, both of you, the Dakota version or the album version and why? I prefer death right now because I really... Because <laughs> now we're all depressed. into this song and... Uh, <laughs> I've never felt closer to anyone than I feel to Jamie right now. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like, I like the Dakota version because I like those extra lyrics yeah. a lot. Same, same. And I like the instrumentation at the beginning. The arrangement. Um, oh my God. I, I too prefer the Dakota version. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy a great just piano only song. And there is, it's not just piano only. There's some harmonium in the, in the album version and there's some guitar, mm-hmm. but David, what's your favorite version? I prefer Dakota, but it should not replace the album version in and of itself. I prefer Dakota, but I, I'm glad that we have both. And it mm-hmm. would, it would be very jarring if the Dakota version was on the album Yeah. in the same way that I would never want Tallulah tornado to right. replace the original version or, so professional widow to replace no yeah. which have has been done each of those has been done disgusting so <laughs> and later pressings and all you know import pressings each of those you know, sins abomination that, yeah know. each of those abominations we just discussed yeah. have been done yeah. um what's your favorite lyrical moment jamie um i think it is those two heartbreaking lines that we were talking about earlier so and this little masochist is lifting up her dress guess i thought i could never feel the things i feel uh tears at your heart what about you david i will acknowledge um if my heart's soaking wet boy your boots can leave a mess because i feel like that's so evocative it gets a participation award and beautiful and such a tory lyric but (laughs) (laughs) but for me personally i thought it wouldn't have to be with you a magazine that rips my guts out can't take it yeah um my favorite lyrical moment of Hey Jupiter, and he isn't you. I could live forever in that that delivery of that line. So there's obviously like a purple rain shout out or throwback, right? Bloodline. Bloodline. If you were Tori, that's yeah. how you would describe it. <laughs> right. Probably. She went back yeah. to the ancients, uh-huh. Prince. Yeah. <laughs> what do you what do you guys think of that? She's never discussed it. You're probably right. And and it's like relatively obvious to us, but I think in the same way she said, when you listen to the riff of precious things, this has a seed in my roommate in metal and whatever music he was listening to. I don't know what that is, but I feel like the same thing holds true for um Hey Jupiter and Purple Rain. Right. But I don't think she's actually said that. Right. So, yeah, I was just thinking about how in the video, there's a lot of it that she doesn't actually sing or lip sync or whatever, but she does do the hoo hoos. And it's interesting how the video is very fire oriented, which is like in direct contrast to the Purple Rain idea. Because Prince described Purple Rain as being when the world has ended and the apocalypse has happened, the Purple Rain will will come down from the sky and the only person I want to be standing in the Purple Rain with is you. And that was what Purple Rain is. 
No? Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm with you. <laughs> Did <laughs> no, I get it wrong? No, no, no. no I need 100 stop. on the test. We're on your journey. We're on the journey <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah. I need 100 on the test, you guys. It's no mistake that when she performed Purple Rain, especially on this tour, she didn't perform Hey Jupiter and Purple Rain. You're right. They were in the same spot. Right. So it's like who... I don't know. It sounds cheesy, but not really. Who's standing with you in the, in the Purple Rain at right. the end of your life? They who, obviously... Who are those people? Yeah, and they obviously both hold the same yeah. sort of thematic element in her mind. Or like I'm about this, to cry right out. Oh know my god, what's happening? David's but... being David. David just got very emotional. Yeah, I don't know what that was, but I was like, <laughs> "Who are my purple rain people?" <laughs> Good know. God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. I have my dog Ollie. Uh, that's well, about it. <laughs> clearly, it's just the three of us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Jamie. On this. Thank it you for really... being on the show. You're yeah. <laughs> insightful and enlightening. You can find Jamie on Twitter at J-M-E Serretti, C-E-R-R-E-T-T-I. Of course, we'll link to that in our show notes. And you can find her on Instagram at Brave Hedgehog. Go back and listen to our Baker Baker episode where Jamie makes her podcast debut. You're wonderful, Jamie. We'll have you on again. Thank you. Bye. 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 Let's talk about the music. Um, I love how the song recalls a busy signal. And even more so in the Dakota version, and even more so on the harmonium. And I can understand, like, later when we get into the live section, why. Just the bing, bing. It just reminds me of a busy tone when accompanied with no one's picking up the phone. I agree with that, but I don't think it comes through as clearly as anywhere else as it does on the album version. Those initial very sparse notes that really um, suggest or mimics a, a dial tone. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite moment? musical um i agree with you on sort of the the mimicry of a dial tone but just in general and i know this is kind of a cop-out answer but we've talked a lot about how how many musicians she had on this album more than any other but how it's also her sparsest album yeah and i think that applies to this song because the harmonium is present but it's so it's buried again it's just texture the guitar is there and this song is so rich but also subtle at the same time, so oh. I think she managed to create something that is so emotionally resonant, but also with a great deal of restraint, musically speaking. So, boys for Pele, boys for Pele, boys for Pele, baby. So, Hey Jupiter, within the scope of the album, couldn't belong anywhere but the center where it belongs, and I think that the reasons for that are pretty apparent in everything that makes it the song that it is. I know a lot of people who love the song, it means a lot to them. It's one that the tragedy of it is so latent that even in those beginning chords, you can feel the energy at hand, really are aware of exactly what's going to happen with the song. The story of the Earth and Jupiter being in love and distance is one of the more painful stories that we get on this album. And I think you feel a lot of that energy is present in the song and that the separation we feel is no longer just one that's hiding behind allegories, metaphors, silly sing-song. It's a pretty real and astronomical feeling of separation. And I think that there's a really great power in that that makes the song so beautiful. And while I personally was never super enthralled by the album version, the Dakota version to me definitely stands out as its final form.
tour all year, our private podcast exclusively for Patreon supporters at the $5 level and up. In this episode, I sit down with two of my all-time favorite tour people, John Ausler and Ahmad Dalal. John and Ahmad have very different tour histories, so we sit down today to hear their stories and find out their favorite moments from tours and encores past. Okay, fuck, Mary, kill Isabel, Clyde, and Tori. <laughs> I love that we're talking about the same woman in different ways. <laughs> okay, so kill Tori, I would fuck Clyde, and then I'd marry Isabel because she's an academic. <laughs> also, she's a photographer, never forget. She's a very well-developed character. <laughs> no one really talks about how fun Tori is. <laughs> For immediate access to this and other exclusive content, head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos and become a subscriber today. We're back and we're chatting with Craig Fisher from Lawrence, Kansas. Hey, Jupiter superfan. Hi, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hello. How, How are, are you? you? Good. How are you? I'm good. You know, trying not to get too emotional about this song. <laughs> well, same, same. So you are a self-declared super fan of Hey Jupiter, is that correct? That is very correct, yes. That is very correct. Now, very correct. tell us your Tory story. When did you discover Tory? Um, I actually came to Tory around the Boys for Pele time. Um, it was probably after, actually after the album came out, because the first song I think I heard was Siren. I was working at a record store, and we were playing the soundtrack, and I heard that song, and then I was like, I need to hear everything else, and so... I just bought everything, and the first like full album I bought was Boys for Pele. So you listen to Boys for Pele, and what happens? So I was like 16, 17 when I listened to that album, and um, I uh, had not come out of the closet at that point uh, and did not know how to come out of the closet. Um, and then when I heard, you know, the album is just amazing anyway, but when I heard Hey Jupiter and I, I heard her say, Are you gay? I was like, uh, shook. Um, cause I had never, no one had ever asked me really, like no one had ever like said that. And then this was someone who was, who I felt so endeared to and someone who I felt so close to just musically asking me if I was gay. And I was like, she sees me. Yeah. Wow. You felt yeah. exposed. It, How does she know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I like later after I heard the song, I know that's not what she's, I, like, I know that's not actually what she's saying in the song. Like, I know that's not the meaning of the song, but for me, it was like, that was a big moment because it was like someone saying that to me and then someone saying, I thought we both could use a friend to run to. I was like, I need a friend to talk to about Aww. this. And that was the moment that kind of like pushed me towards that, you know, realization. When when did you come out? Um, like I came out to my friends in high school. So I like eased my way out of the closet. Um, so that that song definitely helped me like talk to my friends about it and kind of be more open about it with people I was close to. Um, with my family, it took a little bit more time because, you know, I'm in, I'm in Kansas and right, right. it's a little bit conservative around here. So I think that I knew that. I mean, I obviously we I knew I was gay, um, but hearing it, hearing the lyrics, hearing the way that song is structured, the way that she's singing, it felt like she was a friend and she was asking me like she genuinely cared about me and wanted to know and that helped me really understand myself better and helped me kind of feel like, okay, someone else has said this thing to me. Now I feel like I can say this to myself and I can say it to other people. So how has your relationship with the song changed since this is part of your coming out story? Um, how do you feel about the song now? And what, what, what do you feel when you listen to it now? The song now, I think 
I can see why she wrote it. I can see hearing kind of the backstory a little bit just from you guys and then knowing a little bit more about how Paley was written. Um, knowing the backstory, I I see the song more, I think, as it was intended. Um, but I still have my emotional resonance with that song. You know, it's still like, it still speaks to me in the way it spoke to me when I was 16. Um, because I hear it and I hear, I see myself, you know, sitting in my bedroom, listening to it over and over again. Um, Do you share a Tory with your husband? What's that like? Does he get it? Is he a Tory fan or <laughs> Um that's actually a really good story because um, he was not a Tory fan before we met um, and probably hadn't really even heard of her that much. And then um, slowly I was like, this is my favorite singer ever and you need to like get on board. <laughs> um, and so we like slowly kind of inched our way in. I think we like watched some music videos first and then we listened to some stuff and I had like, I think I'd put some songs on playlists. I think now he's kind of converted over to a fan. <laughs> so what choice did he have really <laughs> well, I mean, yeah i mean he was going to be forced to listen to her regardless right. so you know i wonder if you can speak a bit more broadly about tori's place in the gay community tori's mm-hmm. relationship with uh maybe her effect on the community or her impact on the community yeah um it's it's very funny because when i you know when i discovered her i discovered her very independently and like it was very an, an insular experience because I was listening to it on my own in my bedroom, you know, as a little gay kid, like this is a person that we are just best friends. I didn't understand the greater concept of her as like an icon or as like how much people loved her outside of just my bedroom, you know. And then as I went to concerts and as I kind of delved into like websites and forums and was like reading about things, it was like, oh, this is a lot deeper than I thought it was. And seeing her and seeing the amount like when I started to make friends who were gay when I started to have like, you know, I I was a theater major in college. So I had a lot of, uh, there were a lot of gay kids around me. And um, when I was like able to come out of the closet as a Tory fan to people. Which is um, always much later than when you come out of the closet as gay. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Speak for yourself. Um, Yeah. When I made gay friends and I was able to tell them I was a Tory fan and I discovered other gay people were Tory fans. And then I would go to a concert and I would just see all these faces. It was like, this person has had an effect on all of these people. Like my, my experience is not, is mine, but it's not, you know, it's not independent. She has touched all of these people. And then I think when I watched Welcome to Sunny Florida, I was like, I kind of started to get it a little bit more when I was like, these are, there are these people everywhere who see this person. Like I see this person as like this, as a friend, as someone who is close to you, who speaks to you, who says the things that you feel. Um, And I was always surprised that more people didn't know who she was, especially as I got older. And then when I started to see like good friends kind of come around um, and people who I, you know, who I didn't know who, when they were coming out of the closet as Tory fans, you know, there was a small little community that was created and we all kind of held this person up. So I don't know if that, does that answer? Yeah, very well. Very well said. Craig Fisher, super fan. Hey, Jupiter. You can find him on Instagram at Craig Ruiz Fisher. And we'll, of course, link to that in our show notes at songsoftoramus.com. Craig, you're lovely. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective. And you would say this is your signature song? Yes. Okay. But more importantly, are you team noun or team verb? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Always team noun. Oh, hi, Craig. Bye. Oh. Yeah, bye, Craig. Bye. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> 
Here's Aaron Campbells with a cover of Hey Jupiter featuring Brooke Mitchell on vocals. someone who can't get out of a relationship or an addiction or another type of a situation. But you know, there's nothing you can do but watch them burn. And that's really how I saw it poetically. Earl Sebastian is a New York and London-based creative director and filmmaker with Picture Farm International. Besides his decade-long work with Alicia Keys for the Keep a Child Alive campaign, Earl has directed incredible music videos for Madonna, Missy Elliott, and Paula Cole, to name a few. He also, of course, directed Hey Jupiter. Hi, Earl. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. We're so excited to talk to you. Um, before we get into the journey of Tori and Hey Jupiter, will you tell us a little bit about how you discovered you were an artist, how you were drawn to music video, your journey towards uh, filmmaking? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I was dragged up in East London in, in England, and I think you know the arts uh, always had a place with me. Um, I just wasn't sure you know, how to get there, and I wasn't necessarily directed um, on that path. Um, so I struggled for years at school. I, I think if you're looking for something um, and you're asking for something, it comes in some way, shape or form. It doesn't always necessarily come in the form that you assumed. So I was fortunate enough to find myself PAing on, on film sets. Um, from there, joined the camera department and came up on you know, through the camera. And then, you know, a number of years later, had scripted for a music video out of England my very first music video, and that was uh, for a band called Diana Brown and Barry K. Sharp. And that video uh, became hugely successful immediately. So I continued on from there. How far are you into your music video career when you uh, start your work on Hey Jupiter? Can you take us there? Sure. Um, I've been doing music videos for a number of years by that point. Um, I'd done Madonna and Massive Attack, um, The Fugees, Jamaraquai, uh, Nina Cherry, um, and a whole host of, uh, you know, Mary J. Blige. So it was, it was quite a ways in. And it's an interesting story to agree that uh, when I got first asked by the label uh, if I was interested in scripting for it, one, I really, really dug the track and I really dug what the story was about. But it was quite difficult uh, initially. I, I was, you know, blocked um, and couldn't come up with a concept. And it was the the day before I was supposed to deliver a concept to the label. And 
I wasn't sure if there were other directors scripting on it, and I still didn't have a concept. So I called the label and apologized and said, I haven't got anything written. Um, I'm going to have to let it go. Um, and they were like, okay, fine. Um, with that, I remember laying down on the sofa um, with this kind of like release of tension and dozed off into a nap. And it was while I was asleep on the sofa that the concept came to me. The little girl running down the hallway, Tori trapped, you know, or was she trapped? Um, was the girl coming to save her or was the girl coming to uh, kidnap her? And, you know, 20 minutes later, I called the, the label up and said, I've got an idea. I'll send you in a treatment by the morning. Uh, and proceeded to work on the idea. With that, Tori obviously saw the idea. We got on a call and she was very, very down to earth and real and interesting immediately. Um, it was like talking to an old friend straight away. Um, and we kind of got into the concept a little bit. We'd never met. The video itself got commissioned and we set off for Los Angeles, which is where I wanted to shoot it, in downtown Los Angeles and started location scouting, found a building that worked. It wasn't designed on a set, the whole thing. The building itself was downtown, but the, the room that Tori was seated in, uh, the room that was ablaze, was a set. And then a few days before we were scheduled to shoot the video, of course I met with Tori and her wonderful stylist, and we sat down um, to go through the concept. And Tori pulled me to one side and she said, obviously I love the concept. Thank you very much. I said, she said, where are we shooting it? I said, it's downtown in Los Angeles. And she asked, you know, the name of the cross street, which eludes me right now. And she looked at me and she said, this, this concept makes complete sense to me because when she was a budding musician, and in Los Angeles in her early years, before she became the Tori Amos that we know, um, she'd had an altercation in that, in that neighborhood, downtown. And um, it's not really one for me to share um, with everyone because it's her story. But um, it wasn't the nicest of stories, um, let's just put it. And she was surprised that I'd chosen the same kind of set of streets that um, this had happened on. And she felt that the concept for the video was almost like an exorcism, if you will, of, of things that happened uh, to her in that neighborhood and environment. Um, and of course, I looked at her and was completely taken back and surprised. But that's how we went into the concept. And... Um, so, you know, that girl that was cast, you know, not only for me, but for Tori as well, was really the release of a lot of stuff that Tori had been harboring for many, many years. Um, and so, you know, when, when, you, when you hear something like that, it's, uh, you know, it's not kind of stuff you hear every day. And um, so it, it, was, it was just an absolute honor to connect with her like that and um, to come up with a piece that meant so much to her. How incredibly, I mean, what a incredible turn of fate too. Do you know what I mean? That you would choose that location. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
And then, you know, just the idea itself. I haven't watched the video in a while, but watched it again today. Yeah, it's, um, it's still, you know, I look at it now and I'm like, why did I come up with that? Where did that come from? <laughs> just the stars aligned, Earl. I guess the stars aligned. I guess the stars aligned. Tori has said that this song is in part, at least, about um, a woman trying to step out of, out of girlhood and into womanhood. And I feel like that, that story, that narrative is so present in the video with the little girl leading her down the hallway and all of that. But it sounds like that you were really able to tap into that and that came to you in a dream almost, I guess, without even having that conversation with Tori. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and to that point, even the casting of the girl... Um, you know, it didn't take a lot of casting to find that face. And there's something really, really interesting with that, that young girl. I, I can't quite put a finger on it, but um, that face is neither innocent or or guilty. It's just like this non-plus kind of like, but a very, very interesting, a, a, a very, very interesting face. And, you know, the, the, the idea within the video was, you know, is she being ta- is she being kidnapped or is she being saved? And so the casting of that girl kind of worked uh, extremely well. Um, and there are little antidotes, like, you know, the girl does take Tori's hand. Um, and, you know, is Tori, you know, struggling to pull back from it or not? Um, that's something for the viewer to go and take a look at again. And then, you know, towards the end of the video, once Tori had, a, had, had left with the girl, and the girl had taken her to the car and sits in the back of the car, jumping up and down on the seat, you know, with glee, we cut back to the room and Tori's still in the room. So is it Tori's spirit that's been taken? Is it the spirit of Tori that's still in the room? Who knows? You know, I'm so excited to get into all those visual metaphors because I have so many thoughts and questions that I want to share with you, but I think David wants to take it back a little. Yeah, I want to go back a step in terms of um, how you developed the concept. So the version of the song that's used in the video is the Dakota version, and it's a pretty radical re-recording that differs from the album version, which is, you know, sparse kind of piano vocal only. Um, Were you given just the Dakota version? Had you heard the album version? Just curious, like, what you used to feel your way into the song and the story. Right. I'd heard the album version and I'd heard the Dakota version. It was down to probably Tori and the label to use the Dakota version uh, as it relates to the video. Ah. Yeah, it wasn't as sparse, um, which, you know, for a music video director is, is, is more interesting because, you know, you can play with other, you know, ideas, metaphors, textures, uh, aesthetically um, to, you know, bring a story to full life. Um, like, you know, like I said earlier, the whole thing came to me, you know, as cheesy as it may sound, the whole thing came to me in a dream. You know, I kind of like the idea that this one character, the girl, kind of goes through this crowd and up into the building. And when you look at the crowd, on the, when we keep coming back to the crowd on the street, it's almost as if the crowd didn't see her. So you've got this one innocent girl that's like, you know, climbing the steps to this burning apartment, uh, but no one saw her arrive and no one sees her leave. There was an audience of all descriptions, you know, looking up um, at that building and just this sense that Tori wasn't panicked or in fear in any way, shape or form, but was being helped or taken, you know, out of the um, space. You know, it's interesting because, as you know, when you create, you know, things either come to you, you know, in in a moment or they come to you over a couple of days or just depends. All of this came within, like, within a dream. So it was within a 20 minute snooze on the sofa. I woke up and this was there. Um, as the video is so emotionally heavy, 
Um, and Tori really goes to this place, uh, this just heavy, very heavy place. Can you tell us what it's like to work with her as an actress? In general, your sort of approach when working with someone who may not be an actor necessarily, but to get that to get that sort of emotional mm. uh, resonance from her for the video. Sure, sure. Tori is, you know, a really, really, really interesting artist. I think that's something that um, we all know. Um, so, you know, for those reasons, um, I think she can step into a role of this description quite easily. I mean, she wrote the song. To that point, um, there's a particular, you know, musicality that I like that, um, you know, as a filmmaker that works or could work in a number of ways. I like drawing emotion you know, out of an audience. And, you know, as a filmmaker, when you make a piece of film, you know, it's something that you want to draw people's attention to. You know, working with Tori um, and her being who she is, I mean, she's very lighthearted between takes. She's like, she kind of goes in and out of character very, very easily. Um, and she's always, she's extremely friendly to all the crew and everyone working on set. Um, so she was an absolute joy to work with. And, you know, I, I mean that. She really was a joy to work with. Her more than a lot of people, um, and I've done similar things with, you know, other artists, um, Madonna and Linda Cherry, where they've taken on a character. Tori just, you know, she she went there very, very comfortably. Um, uh, I was fortunate enough to bump into her very late last year, and I hadn't seen her since the video. And she remembered me immediately. Um, and we spoke briefly. Um, she was off to, to one set and I was heading off to another set. But it's not often a celebrity, shall I say, treats people that way. But she, she is, she's not that. She's got, you know, this woman um, has her feet, you know, firmly rooted on the ground. She's a, she's a good egg, as, as I'd like to say. I mean, she is so kind and she is so generous. Um, she's talked so much about this video being one of her favorites. Just in and 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 hearing that story of how she's sort of just as an artist exercising something in her past in this video. Do you know what I mean? It makes sense that she can go there mm -hmm. so easily. Mm. Right. We want to talk a little right. bit more about the technical side of things. Can you talk about had you worked with pyro like this before and any challenges that that, <laughs> that presented on the set? No, no, no. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I'm not a bells and whistles type of director. You know, I like to do a lot of things, you know, in camera. And of course, this was also in camera. I'd never done power like this before. Um, and we were trying to figure out, you know, how to um, control, uh, you know, the space and, um, you know, make sure Tori was protected. And we only had one shot at burning that back wall. Um, otherwise it would have taken hours to like reset and start again. And you kind of, you know, you, you don't have hours. Um, so it's got to be done. The trickiest thing of all was the heat because there was a lot of heat coming off that wall. Mm. Um, and we'd kind of given ourselves enough, you know, depth with, the, with, with the camera and, and Tory. And so there wasn't any more room to kind of like either pull her away from the wall or the camera equipment away from the wall. So we had to just go for it. And of course, you know, when you, when you go back and watch it again, Tori goes straight into character because not only did she, not only was she, you know, into the, the video and the, and the music of it, she understood that 
we had like one or two hits at it. Uh, and knowing how warm the room was going to be and getting, um, she just went there. Um, but technically, you know, nothing else other than, other than um, what it is I've just described. Um, like I said, the set was the set was that room. That was a set that we had built in a studio. And then the building itself, when we're looking uh, outside, looking up, um, was you know a building that was found downtown, and that was a controlled flamethrowers, you know, just pushing pushing that out of windows. So you mentioned at the start of the conversation that you get approached a lot to talk about this collaboration in the video. What what kind of questions come up, and why do you think people are so drawn to this <laughs> to this song and video in particular? You, you know what's interesting? Out of all the videos I've done, Tori Amos on Hey Jupiter comes up all the time. I've had fans over the years <laughs> track me down in some way, shape, or form. We're a rabid bunch, Earl. Um, yeah, like from around the world. Um, um, I, I think the last person that called me, there was something to do with the number on the door of the apartment that Tori was in. <laughs> and um, I didn't remember that there was a number on the door. Um, and I think what happened is a screw might have, might have come out of, that was holding the, the number on. So the number was now become upside down or back to front. And I was like, wow, you know, the depth that, pe- that people, you know, look at this. And then, you know, further understanding who Tori is and familiarizing myself with, you know, a lot of her other work. I guess this does fit in the Tori Amos playpen, if you will. Yes, um, very, very much. I was sitting with my girlfriend at a cousin's house who I'd met for the first time and we were sitting in the garden and we we're having a couple of beers and Tori Amos came up in conversation and then Hey Jupiter came up. Uh, as a song, and I mentioned that I directed the video, and my girlfriend's cousin almost collapsed. I was like, whoa, <laughs> hold it, hold it. Whoa. <laughs> when you look back on your work, um, if you, aside from Hey Jupiter, obviously, because that's what we would choose, but if you look back at your work, your music video work, what would you say is emblematic of, what would you like to, what would you leave people with? I think um, the piece I'd, I'd leave people with is something called Stolen Moments, Red Hot and Cool, which is a documentary on HIV and AIDS uh, that's done through the issue of, um, done through jazz uh, and hip hop. And it's an interesting metaphor. It's the handing of the torch from the old school to the new. Um, but it's a piece that I'm extremely proud of. Um, Red Hot and Cool, Stolen Moments. Stolen Moments, Red Hot and Cool. You, of course, you can find that on our show notes at songsoftoryamos.com. Earl Sebastian was born in South Africa. He is a filmmaker, visionary, and a generous, generous spirit. You can find him on Instagram at Sebastian Earl, and that's Earl with an E at the end. Thank you so much for sharing your time and just these wonderful stories with us, Earl. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Zelig Quartet's cover of Hey Jupiter. You can find it on our show notes page. No one's picking up the phone Guess it's me and me And this little Nancy guest She's ready to confess All the things 
that I never thought that she could feel. And hey, Jupiter, nothing's been the same. So are you gay? Are you blue? Thought we both could use a friend to run to. And now, a word from our hotline. Ooh. Hey guys, this is Ryan Homan. Thank you for all of the incredible work you have done for fans across the country. It was really great to have met you out on tour. For 20 years, Hey Jupiter has been my go-to girl. The song spoke to me the first time as a teenager in high school. I was gay, but not yet out. I remember sitting on the bus on my way to lacrosse games, everyone listening to their discmen, likely with Dave Matthews Band, Nine Inch Nails, Green Day, or Tupac in their ears. I would be listening to Boys for Pele. When I heard Hey Jupiter for the first time, I felt Tori was singing to me, a closeted gay boy, in all the pain that comes with that. She gave me strength, helped me through some perilous moments, and occasionally helped me channel my anger. The line, are you gay, are you blue, thought we both could use a friend to run to, started my relationship with Tori. From that point forward, we'd be sharing. She was channeling my pain, love, and loss. Hey Jupiter today remains as powerful as it was for me 20 years ago, although the meaning continues to change for me as it does I know for so many. The most powerful line of Hey Jupiter is also the most powerful line of one of my other favorite girls, Sugar. The lyric is, and I know you know. That lyric, to me, embodies why so many of us connect so deeply with Tori. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for all you do. Of course, that was a small part of a longer interview. All of our interviews are available on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Songs of If you're a supporter at any level, you have access to our vast archive of interviews from the past. Um, unedited. So the real, we, we get real with Earl. Earl, we got real. You have a little bit more information on the video, don't you? A little bit. I happen to know... Um, a friend by the name of Brooks Robinson who ran Steadicam and he, he was the camera operator on this video. So really? I, re- I reached out to him just to ask if he had any memories or anything specific that he could share with us about the process of making this video. He was not able to be on the phone with us, but uh-huh. he sent me over a statement that we're going to read. A statement. A statement. The shoot was in a small studio down by the LA River and the fire was awful. Multiple takes of Tori in high speed and me running up and down a hallway chasing a little girl. Shane Hurlbut was the DP of Terminator 5 slash Christian Bale screaming match fame. We all remember that. Oh, good for you. That was Shane Hurlbut? He was running the camera while Christian Bale had that meltdown, I oh, guess. Okay. But we got into this a little bit with um, Earl. 
but Brooks also... Oh, he also said in that quote, a long day, but very rewarding. Very rewarding. And we got into this a little bit with Earl, but how they achieved sort of that dreamy slow-mo effect was by shooting at a very high frame rate and then playing it back at regular speed, I guess. And to, to do that, you have to um, do the audio playback on set at an increased speed too, right? So it gives you like the chipmunk version. So just imagine Tori turning in this deep, emotionally resonant performance yeah. with a tear running down her cheek while lip syncing along to herself at, at high, high speed. speed. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing that she was still able to turn out the yeah, performance. Though. I agree. Ah, uh, David. It's time to do drop in at the do drop off. I don't know what you're talking about. Me either. It's <laughs> a live section, David. Tori performed. Let's do the little promo TV section first. We don't count these as tour performances. The first time that we can track that she did this song was on January 13th, 1996 for Z100 Acoustic Cafe. And that's cafe with two Fs. Cafe. Okay, here we go. Oh, we'd love to have you play something else live on the radio. Oh, good. Well, this is a request. We have a request. Yes. The, for, these few rows have made a request. By the way, to set the scene for you, we're at Eureka Joe's. We've got about 35,000 people stuffed in here. <laughs> we're having a little party, and this is Tori Amos live on Z100. No one's picking up Lovely. She did it again, as far as I can tell, the next time was the 2nd of February, 1996, in Hotel Babylon. Both of those times, she did it on piano. Um, again, she performed the song on television, on Unplugged, on April 11th, 1996. And here it is. Hey, Jupiter, could use a friend around and I thought I wouldn't have to be with you as soon as I knew um, one of my favorite introductions this is from live with regis and kathy lee mm. whose third album boys for peely's boys for peely's boys for peely sold 110,000 copies within one week she joins us now to sing hey jupiter here's tori amos Reach. Um, can I just say that this was one of the one of the shows that I set to tape when I had to go to school and left the tape running and my mom watched it. She could not wait to tell me when she picked me up from school the horrible, horrible embarrassment that Tori um, had experienced by drooling at the very end of this performance. <laughs> like her lip catches on the mic and a big glob of drool pours out on... Life yeah, happens, happens, mom. Happens to all of us, but she was sickened. And that was on the harmonium... 
which she went on to do the entire tour mm-hmm. on the harmonium. That may have been the first televised version yeah, on the harmonium. So. Yeah. Um, she did it again on May 19th, 1996 on Music Plus. June 27th, 1996, she did it again on the harmonium on Jay Leno's program, The Tonight Show. No one's picking up the phone, guess it's clear he's gone, and this little masochist is lifting up her dress, guess I could never feel. Okay, just like the SNL performance we talked about, I feel like she's very, very present in a naked way. Agreed, totally. Here she is on January 20th, 1996, performing it on Saturday Night Live. That was iconic. Well, now it's time to get into the tour performances, the proper tour performances. So on the Do Drop In tour, she did it 108 times. It, when she did perform it, it was always performed last, the very last song of the show in the, at, in the second encore, or however many encores she happened to be doing that night. And it was always on harmonium, except for the final show in Boulder and in Miami on October 23rd. Also, eight times she mashed it with Cool on Your Island, meaning she did kind of um, half or maybe even a quarter of Cool on Your Island as an introduction. And one time she also mashed it with Professional Widow. So the first time that she performed it on February 23rd, there is no recording. So the first recording we have from the Do Drop In tour is on March 8th in London. And there's a cute little goof up. Here we go. Yeah. So cute. Rock yeah. Uh, March 13th in Portsmouth, she 
gets a little clever when she messes up the lyrics. April 28th, she performed it in Washington, D.C. with Pro Widow, and here is that mashup. she is on May 3rd in Philly and this is with a cool on your island intro. This is this is probably the first time that we're aware of that she'd performed anything from YKTR. Probably or at not least even cool on your ATN island. I think ATN had already been this. performed. Okay. Maybe. But certainly not cool on your island and someone shouts it out and you know they hit her at just the right time and she's kind of like, "Sure. Great. Great idea. Let me Why do that." Not? Here it is. Why haven't I been doing this the whole time? And it was a big deal at the time. I remember like the, the two or three times she played this on the tour, they were um, highly sought after. And little did we know that it would Eight become time. a more regular thing. That's still very few. Uh, I mean, yeah. Here it is on October 18th in New Orleans. And this is the last time on the tour where she performed the, performed the entire song as it appears on the album before going on to drop the final verse and just ending on the high, the high who's. No. 
October 23rd in Miami, Tori performed an unusual show because she left the stage, was feeling sick. She came back and finished the show. And so that could possibly explain why it's on the piano. You know, she didn't have the set list. She couldn't say bring the harmonium out mm-hmm. after this song, etc. So here is a rare do drop in performance on the piano. Here she is in Oklahoma City on October 30th, and she has a little Mary Magdalene improv in front of it. Here we go. Final time she performed it on the Do Drop In tour was where, David? Boulder, Colorado on November 11th, 1996. The original set list differed greatly from what she ended up performing, especially the last encore, which was printed as Lucifer, God, Amazing Grace. And what she ended up performing was Tear in Your Hand, Daniel, Hey Jupiter, right? So I think that's part of the reason why Hey Jupiter ended up being on piano because the crew was not ready to bring out the harmonium. So, Eve, why do you think she chose to perform this pivotal song on harmonium as opposed to uh, on opposed to piano and sort of mirror what it sounded like on the album? To Thank you. And every show, I have a very strong thought. <laughs> you do because it sounds more like a dial tone. It sounds more like a dial tone and a busy signal. It just sounds like an actual phone that's bzz, bzz, like it's not going through. As a pump organ is easily out of breath sometimes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's the emotional landscape of the song. I agree with you. And on that note, I want to read a quote from Q Magazine, May 96, when Tori is discussing the live arrangement of this song. And she says, every night it challenges me, so I'm fighting for breath sometimes. It's almost as if you're there. She's discovering her feelings, says the elf-like mistress of the depressing and oppressive harmonium, which wheezes around lines like, if my heart's soaking wet, boy, your boots can leave a mess, as if its intestines are being yanked by Amos's fingers. So yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on breath and how... right the mechanism of the harmonium itself with the the push pedal i guess right. and the air flowing through it sort of mimics her her wheezing or crawling again through this song mm-hmm. so. i agree and it's just as there's more of like a sort of a post-apocalyptic wreckage mm-hmm. sound mm-hmm. you know, just kind of everything's like laying bare you're so right so that's 108 times she did it on that tour it's a lot of times that's a that's a lot of shows um in 1998 she performed it 18 times, and she brought back that final verse, the fourth verse. This is some promo she did on October 24th in New York City. She taped Storytellers. Years, 
Three times she did it on Five and a Half Weeks, three times she did it on To Dallas and Back, and one time she did it on her winter promo tour at Jingle Bell Jam. Here is Tori doing this song August 16th on Unreleased and Unrehearsed, which was a webcast. It serves to note that in 99, she did it with the fourth verse also. Um, but in 2001, what changes, David? We start to get an arrangement that's more akin to the Dakota version. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. And it's not uh, solely on the piano. She also cuts the fir- fourth verse again. Right. She did it 19 times on Strange Little Tour. September 28th, West Palm Beach. are as they're written in the booklet which she called a mistake Mm -hmm. so that leads me to believe that someone printed out the lyrics for her Mm -hmm. as they are in the booklet and she's reading them probably for the first time as she's in the moment i'm sure you're right because uh, for whatever reason at this point of all the songs she had a very hard time remembering the lyrics yeah so i think this was one of the first times when she needed to have the lyrics printed out for her and can we go to the strange little webcast yeah let's do that no one's picking up the phone Jupiter. Okay. Amusing for the crew. I'm not going to start at the beginning because um, my dinner is waiting. Hey, Jupiter. Um, H comes before where, Marcel? Before J, right? Okay. Well, Jupiter. I never call it Hey, Jupiter. It's just Jupiter. Hey, Jupiter. Okay. Mm-mm. You're getting this all, aren't you? You're not missing a second. All right, you shouldn't, you know, that's, it's antiperspirant. I used them earlier, that's my problem. Thought I knew my words so well, all the doubts I hide. It's a big song, David. On Scarlet's Walk in 2002, Tori performed this song 
27 times. This was the first time that we got a proper Dakota arrangement performed live with the rhythm track. She'd been getting there kind of and slowly transitioning away from the piano. But this was the first time where the rhythm track kicked in. It really sounded like Hey Jupiter or right. Dakota. So um, here's the first time she did it with the Dakota arrangement on November 7th in Tampa. I was there. <laughs> piano she did it six times culminated in september 4th in west palm beach released for welcome to sunny florida yeah It awakened my sensuality. Did it? That, partic- that particular performance? Mm-hmm. Speaking of sensuality, she did it 15 times on the original Sensuality Tour, and she did it four times on the Summer of Sin Tour. So let's play July 5th in Milan, where she does basically a Dakota version solo. I go from day to day. slow down as everything was right well it was a hot summer she slowed it down cut a verse but it was still much longer than when she had all four verses i thought that was funny okay 2007 we're in the thick of it and i want to talk about all the dolls i had Mm. so in 2007 performing it 68 times it makes sense that it's the Tory doll. Mm-hmm. And that's why, maybe why she ended with it every night. Yeah, this this song could not have gone to anyone else. You're right. No. And, and there was 20 Legs and Boots released, so you can find it. It's on iTunes and Spotify. Here we are in 2009 on the Sinful Attraction Tour. Tori performed the song four times. Am I sinful or am I sensual? I'm, either way, I'm attracted to it. She performed this two times solo and two times with the band. That's crazy! I'm excited about this. 2010, she did it in Bonnaroo. Here we go. (laughs) 
Excited about the Nine of Hunters tour. I can tell because you got you got your legs I up. Cro- you oh, got... I, I was about to launch into leather. I just oh. like repositioned myself. I you crossed my legs and I was did. like, "Let me tell you a story." Ding. No, I ding. love the Nine of Hunters tour. I love the quartet. Um, I would love more of that. But I also really love this arrangement of Jupiter. And I think mm. this would be my top pick. Really? Yeah. The reverb on hiding that they add so mm-hmm. subtle, but that effect on her vocal hiding. Hiding. Play, which one should we play? Um, I loved L.A. December eighteenth, twenty eleven. All right, let's do that one. So what happens after 2011? Does the song go away forever? Not forever. Um, It was actually very present on the 2012 Gold Dust Tour. There were very few dates on that tour because she was performing with an orchestra, but she performed it seven times. Mm. She did not do any U.S. dates with with an entire orchestra, but she did perform a couple shows with an octet. Then she became unrepentant. (laughs) 2014, she did it 17 times on that tour. And here's the final time that she did it on that tour which is the last time we've heard it in its entirety, was on the 12th of November in Sydney.
You want to talk about 2017? Native Fader Tour one time. One time. That's Half crazy. Half a time even. Yeah. She, ma- she matched it with Running to Stand Still. That's a very strange pairing, don't you think? Um, no, because she was doing Running to Stand Still a lot on the 17 tour. But how is that related to Hate Jupiter? Because you've got to cry without weeping. And maybe she's saying, Hey Jupiter, are all of these heightened emotions that she's got to do it with grace. Hmm. Maybe. To me, it feels like it was an in-the-moment thing. So here is Here it is. <laughs> tour hopefully she will do hey jupiter and if she needs to take it down an octave take it down an octave who cares who cares <laughs> who? we're there with you um so in total she's performed it on tour 316 times silver i can't remember we should have written it down the day that we made the new i think it's silver oh if anyone, if anyone remembers what episode that we did that on and remembers the ranking, mm. please email us. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, God. Another one in the can. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. God. John Lennon, Dakota, Haunted, Dakota Purple Fanning. Purple she was Rain. in there too, right? What if that's what she meant? The Dakota Fanning version. Mix. Oh weird that's what we need is dakota fanning come through dakota (laughs) come through dakota if you're (laughs) listening dakota fanning please you can call our hotline at 323-296-9955 and leave us a voicemail with your cover of hey jupiter we'll also take l well (laughs) or any fanning Fanning. really or any olsen if (laughs) if elizabeth olsen's out there (laughs) then why not if you like what we do please follow our social at songs of tori amos and you can do that on twitter and instagram and facebook we have a lot of extra content there. You can also follow us on our website, www.songsofjoyamus.com, where you can find our newsletter. You can sign up for that. You can see our show notes for every show, find out everything that we're playing on our playlist, including this wonderful remix that is underneath me. It's underscoring this very moment. I actually brought the remixer in. He's live in the room. If you are really into what we do, you can go to Patreon at patreon.com slash songsoftoryamus and support us there. We have many different perks at many different levels. We have an episode of tour all year coming out this month follow david on his twitter and instagram at unreliable nar nar and a r r um we didn't talk about the hot piece of news that the light princess a one night only july concert performance of the musical right does that qualify as tour all night could i write that off on my taxes absolutely yeah like, i could right yeah. i probably could buy your ticket now uh, although it's really expensive uh. like uh I don't, know anybody in London. I don't know anybody in London that would house me, Priya, Peter Doyle. Or do I? Or do I? My friend Dusty would house me. Everybody would house me. 
I'm, I'm spent. Uh, me I too. I'm, I'm breaking up with this song. Me too. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no one's picking up the phone. That's right. And you're the one calling, and I'm the one not picking up. It's mutual. It's yeah. mutual. <laughs> so I'm not calling. You're not picking up. Fine. Bye. Bye. See you, Jupes. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com.